Good morning, and uh, happy late Independence Day to you, Independence Day weekend. It's the 244th birthday of our country, and hope you had a good time yesterday. It was definitely a different kind of July 4th for us this year. Uh, I was really pleased last night that it didn't exactly sound like World War III in my neighborhood, so uh, that meant my dog slept most of the night, which meant I slept most of the night, so I got nothing to complain about today. Uh, but today we are going to pray for our nation at the end of the sermon. Uh, this week, if you get my daily prayer email, you probably already know that if you've been paying attention. Uh, we've been talking about praying for the nation throughout this year and uh, throughout this week and, and uh, focusing your thoughts and attentions on the Lord, maybe, maybe taking a time, uh, a day to fast or to abstain from something else that'll, uh, that, that distracts you from the Lord so we can get right with Him. So uh, we're starting today with Daniel chapter 9, talking about Daniel's prayer life. Daniel is mentioned in a little, almost a throwaway verse. Obviously, there's no throwaway verses in the Bible, but to us, a verse we would just skim right over in Ezekiel 14, verse 14. And let's be honest, most of us don't ever read Ezekiel unless uh, we're a life group teacher and the Sunday school lesson happens to be there, or uh, last year when we read through the whole Bible, we read Ezekiel. But when we do read it, we often miss things like this, little details like this. Now, the context in Ezekiel 14 is the people of Israel, some of them, including Ezekiel, had already been captured and taken away into captivity by the Babylonians. And so Ezekiel, like Daniel, is living in Babylon. God is talking to, Daniel, or to Ezekiel and telling him, hey, listen, your people's trouble isn't over. The temple is going to be destroyed. The city of Jerusalem is going to fall. Nothing's going to stop that. I'm sorry. The people's sins have grown to the point where I can't protect them anymore. I'm going to have to let them experience the full consequences of their choices. He says, this is, this is how sure this prophecy is. Ezekiel 14, 14 says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, meaning the city of Jerusalem, they would not deliver, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. So what, what God is saying to Ezekiel is, things are so bad right now, even if the three most righteous people who've ever lived up till now stood in Jerusalem and prayed and said, Lord, please deliver this city. Don't let anything bad happen to us. He said, they would be rescued, but the rest of the city would fall. What's interesting about it is the three people he mentions. Wouldn't you like to know who the three most righteous people in human history are up till today? Well, in Ezekiel's day, the three that God mentions are Noah, who we can all understand. He was the, he was the only righteous man on earth at, at the time. That's why he, was, he and his family were saved from the flood. Job, who was described as the most righteous man in all the territories of the East in his book. But then the third person who's mentioned is Daniel. And what's interesting about that is he was alive at the time these things were, were being said. He was alive at the same time as Ezekiel. Ezekiel and Daniel may not have known each other, but they certainly knew of each other. So just to put in perspective how unusual this is, imagine you had a personal conversation with God and you said, God, who are the three greatest Christians who's ever lived? And he said, well, it's the Apostle Paul and Mother Teresa and Joe, that Pentecostal guy that does accounts receivable at your company. I mean, you would be shocked. We just don't think of people who are alive at the same time we are as being on the same caliber righteousness-wise as people in Scripture. And yet that was true of Daniel. What was it that made Daniel so righteous. It wasn't anything that was 
inherited from his parents. Nobody is born with a righteousness gene. Nobody just grows up naturally following God. We're naturally sinners. So what was it that made Daniel the man he was? The man we've seen so far in this study, it's what we see today. It's his prayer life. We saw some of it last week when he was willing to stand and pray, to kneel and pray three times a day, even though it meant a death sentence for him. And today we're going to actually look at one of the prayers of Daniel. By the way, great way to grow in your own prayer life is to find prayers in the scriptures, prayers uh, uttered by the prophets, by the apostles, Paul especially, or by Jesus. You study those prayers and it teaches you how to deepen your own communication with God. So we're reading Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. So let me just give you a translation of that. What he's saying is, Jeremiah had prophesied that the time that the people of God were going to be away from their land, exiles in a foreign country, would be 70 years. He wrote it in the scroll, Jeremiah did, and apparently Daniel has just gotten a copy of that scroll and now knows. 70 years until our people go home. And what Daniel's about to pray is, Lord, fulfill your promise, send us home like you said, and if it's your will, let me live to see it happen. Okay? So we pick up with verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Remember that detail. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which we have driven them because of the treachery they have committed against you. Now skip to verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Remember that phrase. That will be important later too. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Now, wouldn't it be great if you and I could have the kind of prayer life that we knew when we entered into prayer with God, things were going to happen. Lives were going to change. The world around us was going to transform. We ourselves would grow closer to Him, would become more joyful, more, more at peace, more righteous, more like Jesus. How does that happen? What makes a powerful prayer life. There's a myth in Christianity that says there are certain people who are just natural-born prayer warriors. And I think there are, but they're not natural-born. They weren't born to that. They've developed that natural prayer life, that beautiful, powerful prayer life. So what does that consist of? Two things we see in Daniel. Yes, two points to this sermon. Number one, 
powerful prayer flows out of a vibrant relationship with God. Powerful prayer happens when your walk with God is genuine and real and transformative. See, one of the myths, misconceptions that we have about prayer, and it's very common in Christianity today, and it's something I used to believe myself, is that prayer is the act of getting things from God that he wasn't going to give you otherwise. In other words, prayer is you persuading God to give you what you want. That's what we all believe. A lot of us believe that prayer is. That's what I used to believe prayer was. Let me, let me show you why that's incorrect. Let me show you the logic of that. So can we all agree that God knows more than we do? Yes. Okay. Do we, do we all agree that God knows everything, that he's never wrong? Yes. Okay. I agree. Do we all agree that God loves us so much that he would never do something to intentionally harm us unless there was some good purpose behind it? Yeah, God loves us. God loves us absolutely. Loves us enough to die for us. So if God loves us that much, and if God knows right from wrong and always knows what's best for us, if there's something that that God doesn't want to give you, do you really want to talk him into it? I mean, would that really be good for you? And in fact, do you want a God who is that easily manipulated? A God who would say, okay, I know this is bad for you, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because you won't stop bugging me in, in prayer. Do you want a God who says, I have a plan for the redemption of your neighbors and your friends and your family, but you keep asking for this thing that I know is going to get in the way of that plan, that's going to make you an obstacle to that plan, but I can't help myself. I just can't tell you no. Well, I don't want to serve a God like that. That would make God a worse father than my dad was, a worse father than I am to my kids. See, I want to serve a God who knows what's right, who knows what's best, who loves me enough to tell me no. So what is the purpose of prayer if the purpose of prayer is not to get things from God that he doesn't want to give? Purpose of prayer, I believe, is God letting us work alongside him in the act of redemption. God is redeeming our world, bringing peace to chaos, one heart, one family at a time, and he lets us be a part of that process. When we pray, we are praying alongside the Holy Spirit of God as he does his work in the world and his work in us. So an analogy might be helpful. Imagine you are a teenage boy who has nothing but resentment toward your dad, and you never talk to him, you never even acknowledge his presence except to make little sarcastic comments about him as he walks past you. Now imagine one night you, under, you come to understand that you need the family car because there's a, there's a party down at the lake and you want to meet your friends there and none of them can pick you up. And so you shoot your dad a text message and you say, dad, can I have the keys to the car? Now, if your dad has the intelligence of a cantaloupe, then he knows that you're using him. And he's not going to just say, oh sure, the keys are on the hook, just take them, be back by midnight or whatever. Instead, he's going to say, now hold on, we need to have a conversation first. I'm not saying you can't use the car. I'm saying before I say yes, we need to talk about the fact that you haven't spoken to me in a year and a half. What's going on here? Let's sit down. Let's iron out whatever our differences are, because what you need more than the keys to the car is you need a relationship with me. Because what, what I needed growing up, more than anything my dad could provide for me, was a relationship with my father and my mother. 
What we need more than whatever we're praying to God for at any particular time, even something as important as healing from a chronic disease, what we need more than anything we're asking God for is a relationship with him. And that's what prayer is about. It's about God saying, I, I've got things I want to accomplish in your life. I've got things I want to accomplish in the world, but I'm not going to act until you pray because I want you to come to me because I want you to have a relationship with me because that's what you really need. And Daniel understood this. And that's why Daniel comes before God fasting and dressed in sackcloth. Sackcloth, by the way, was sort of like burlap. It was like uh, the stuff you would put feed in. It was, it was a garment that was very intentionally uncomfortable. And this is not Daniel saying, I'm going to get my way with God by skipping meals and wearing itchy underwear. This is Daniel getting his own heart right. He's understanding, I'm approaching the God of creation. And by the way, this is Daniel. This is a guy who's, who's got more righteousness in him than all of us put together. This is Daniel, one of the three that God mentions. This is Daniel who, at the end of his prayer, Gabriel shows up. Gabriel. Has Gabriel ever come to you at the end of one of your prayers? That hasn't happened to me. Not yet. This is Daniel. And yet he still feels the need to come before God with prayer and fasting because he understands this is a relationship and I want to go before God in a worthy manner. I want to go before God with my heart right with him. And if that's true of Daniel, shouldn't that be true of us too? We go before God with a heart that's right. And notice, when you, when you look back at the prayer that Daniel prays, yes, he's asking for God to fulfill his promise as given by the prophet Jeremiah. Yes, send your people home. Don't keep us here in exile forever. He's saying, Lord, let me live to see the fulfillment of your promise. But if you reread the whole prayer, you'll notice he spends most of his time confessing sin. The period where he's asking for stuff is just at the end. The most of the prayer is him confessing sin. And by the way, not confessing just his own sin, he's confessing the sin of the people, the people of Judah, the people of God. And that's something we, as evangelical Christians, we don't do that a lot because we're very, we're very individualistic about our faith. We think of it as a personal relationship with God, which it is. And so we just feel like, well, I, you know, the sins of somebody else are none of my business. We forget, remember, y'all is a biblical word. And most of the yous in Scripture are y'alls because God expects us to hold one another accountable and to serve together alongside one another, alongside the Spirit of God. And so we should care about what's happening in the world as it relates to the Christian movement. And when we look at America and we see all the problems in our nation that we're going to pray about in just a moment, and we see that there's family dysfunction and we see that divorce is rampant and we see that uh, parents and children are estranged and we see that uh, there's violence in the streets and we see that there's, there's anger and there's division and we just seem to be getting polar, more and more pulled apart uh, politically and in every other way and we see the despair in our nation and we see so many problems, we have to take accountability for that, responsibility. We have to say before God, Lord, if we were being the church, if we were being salt and light, a city on a hill like you commanded in Matthew 5, these problems wouldn't be the way they are. Families would be healed. Peace would reign. 
joy would be over the face of the land because we'd be spreading the gospel so faithfully. So forgive us, Lord, and make us the people we need to be. That's what Daniel does. And yet at the same time, he doesn't come before God saying, boy, I sure hope I can convince God because he knows God's already decided what he's going to do. God is praying for stuff he knows are according to the will of God. He's not asking God to change his mind. He's saying, I want to work alongside you to to deliver the people of Israel, the people of Judah back home. Remember in the, in the, the Lord's Prayer, the very first thing we're commanded to say after, hallowed be thy name. What are we supposed to say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you've said those words. If, if, you're, if you're a Christian, you've said those words many times, probably haven't even thought about it. But notice, Jesus, when he was giving us the model prayer, he taught us to pray that before we ever asked for anything, before give us this day our daily bread or forgive us our trespasses. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He wants us to pray for God's will to be done in our lives, not for our will to be done, for his will to be done. And when you begin to pray that way, when you begin to think of prayer as me working alongside God to bring about redemption, that's when your prayers get powerful. Second thing, second thing we learn from Daniel's prayer life is powerful prayer is from the heart. So I want to tell you about the most powerful prayer I ever prayed. It was a long time ago. I was in college. I was about 20 years old. I I was, Carrie and I were dating. She lived in the Champion Forest area. I lived on campus at U of H. And every weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would drive out to see her. Now, I had at the time the coolest car I will ever have, a 1986 silver Chevrolet Camaro. I had just totally fallen into that thing. I didn't deserve that car, but I loved it. And because I had such an awesome car, and because I was a 20-year-old male, I drove way too fast. And on this particular day, it was a really bad day to drive really fast because it was raining really hard. And all of you who've lived in the Houston area for any amount of time, you know what happens to the freeways when it's raining really hard. There's a lot of water on the road. And I happened to hit one of those patches of water, just basically drove into a pond. Now, what happens when your car loses contact with the road and starts to drift? What is the worst thing you can do at that particular moment? Anybody know? What's the worst thing you can do? Hit the brakes. Somebody knows. Don't hit the brakes. Guess what I did? I hit the brakes as hard as I could, and my car started to spin. Now, this is 3.30 in the afternoon on I-45, right around where uh, it ties in with Beltway 8, and cars were whizzing past me. As I was spinning, cars were whizzing past me like tracer bullets in one of those World War II movies, and I eventually stopped. When the car finally came to a rest, it was facing the opposite direction. I I had done a complete 180. Nobody hit me. Nobody even nicked me. My car was fine. I was fine. I was shaking. I turned my car around and I drove on my way. I did not tell my girlfriend what had happened. She had to find that out later. But that night when I got home, I shared the story with my roommate who was still up. And I told him, while I was spinning out of control, I was praying. I was praying loudly. I've never yelled at God before, but I was yelling at God right then. And, and all I could pray, what I was trying to pray was, Lord, please protect me. Please don't let me die. Please don't let me get hit. 
But all I could articulate was two words, please and Lord. True story. All I could do is just say, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, over and over again. I don't know how long that spin lasted. It seemed to take about 10 minutes. It was probably more like 10 seconds. But that's all I could pray. Now, why was that so powerful? Because it was real. Because I wasn't just going through the motions. I wasn't just saying words that I heard the old men in my church say when I was growing up or or trying to sound like the King James Version of the Bible. I was just telling God what was on my heart. And that's what God wants. God wants the real you. He wants you to truly engage with him because that's a real relationship. We see it in Scripture. Have you ever seen, have you ever read the Psalms and been shocked at the kinds of things David says to God? Or Job, when when Job says, Lord, where are you? What you're doing is not fair. When David in the Psalms says, why are the wicked prospering while I'm trying to be righteous and I'm suffering in every single way? Why don't you show up, Lord? We would be terrified to say those kinds of things to God, but they weren't. And God put it in his word for a reason. He wants us to be honest. Daniel comes before God, and he comes with passion. He comes with emotion. Verse 19, you can hear it in his voice. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Don't delay for your own sake, oh, God. Daniel is not trying to manipulate God by being emotional. That's not the way God works. What he's doing, though, is he's expressing his true heart before the Lord, and that's what God wants from us. I'm not saying it's wrong to take the words of someone else, like to to pray a psalm before God can be very powerful, but you have to mean it. You can't just be mouthing words to God while you're thinking about something else. You can't just be going through the motions to get it over with. Real prayer comes from your heart. So was Daniel's prayer answered? His prayer from the heart, his prayer that flowed out of a vibrant relationship with God. Yes, it was. Chapter 10 tells us in the very first verse of chapter 10, it says that Daniel was still alive in the third year of King Cyrus, king of Persia. What do we know about Cyrus? Cyrus, in his first year, issued a decree that said that all the Jews could go home. So I doubt that Daniel went home. There's no indication that he went home. He was probably too old by that time. He was very much engaged in the government of Babylon. He had a job to do, but he lived to see it happen. It it happened because that's what he prayed and asked the Lord for. And so that leads to us. We look around the world and we grieve at the problems in our country, in our family, in our own lives. And let's just admit we can't fix any of it. We don't have the power. I mean, let's say, you know, politicians can say inspiring things like you can be the change that you want to see in the world. And Disney movies can tell us that uh, you can be anything you set your mind to become. But that's all baloney. It sounds good, but it's not true. But God has the power. And God wants to join with us in bringing about miraculous transformation in our lives and the lives of people all around us. And when we pray, that's what happens. So several years ago, there was a group of eight people in Sacramento, California, who had a burden. They were Christians. They had a burden for Detroit Boulevard. I know this is confusing, but that's the name of a neighborhood in Sacramento. It was at the time the most poverty-stricken, drug-ridden, crime-producing neighborhoods in the city. In fact, it was the one place you didn't want to be. 
And these eight people decided, let's begin to prayer walk Detroit Boulevard. Now, these people were not the same ethnicity as most of the people who lived on Detroit Boulevard. So as they're walking down the streets in the cool of the evening, they stood out. And people who lived there began to question them. One woman came out of her house very angrily saying, what are you people doing here? And when, they, when, she, when she heard that they were praying, her whole countenance changed. And she said, well, I've got some things I need prayer for. Will you pray for me? And life in Detroit Boulevard began to change. In fact, that group formed a church right there in that neighborhood called Detroit Life Church. You can look it up online. Uh, and after that church had been there, it was established in 2010. Several years later, the Sacramento Bee, the local newspaper, wrote a story about Detroit Boulevard, that neighborhood. And they said, over the past two years, something amazing has happened in this neighborhood. What used to be the worst neighborhood in all the city, now over the past two years, there have been zero murders, zero rapes, zero robberies, one assault. That's it. One violent crime in two full years in the worst neighborhood in the city. There's not a neighborhood in Conroe, I guarantee you, that has numbers that good. And that's because this group of people began to pray. This is a small church. You look them up online, they're tiny. It wasn't because they had these great programs. It wasn't because they injected a bunch of money. They didn't start a neighborhood watch. It wasn't anything like that. They just prayed. And God can do amazing things when we truly pray. Have you ever thought maybe we're wasting the greatest resource we've ever been given because we fail to pray? And you may say, yeah, but Jeff, I'm not that good. Daniel prayed and great things happened, but that's Daniel. Remember what he said? Daniel said, it's not because of our righteousness that we're praying. We're, we're praying because of your mercy. You and I don't come to God because there's anything good in us. The power of our prayer is because the son of the king laid his life down, took our place. He took our punishment so we could have his place, his position in the throne room of God. And now when we go before God, it's like his own son or daughter is standing in front of him. And we have access because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's not waste that. Would you join with me? Let's pray for our nation right now. And you can do this one of two ways. You can pray whatever's on your heart, whatever God lays on your heart. And I guarantee you, God hears you praying at the same time he hears me pray. Or you can just, you can listen as I pray. And if you agree, you can say amen, either out loud or in your heart. God hears that too. But either way, there is power when God's people agree together in prayer. So Lord, we come before you. And we just want to give you the praise and the glory for who you are. You are everything the Bible says. You're everything we sing about and more. And we want to say thank you that you've given us, Lord, more blessing, more freedom than any people who've ever lived. And, and we didn't deserve this. We're not, we're, more, we're not more worthy of our freedom, our liberty, our affluence than people who grow up in other parts of the world. We just have to say thank you because it's all, it's all a gift. And Lord, we also need to confess that we have not been the light of the world like we're called to be. We've not been the salt of the earth, the city set on a hill, and the evidence is all around us. And it's, Lord, forgive us because we want to blame our neighbors. We want to blame 
the media. We want to blame people who don't think like us. But Lord, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to spread the gospel and to bring the kingdom of God by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we've not been doing that. And that's why our country's in the shape it's in. So forgive us, O Lord. And we want to lift up before you our nation. We want to pray, first of all, for an end to this pandemic. Lord, the the experts say we're at least a year away from a vaccine, but we pray that something would happen sooner, much, much sooner. We pray, Lord, that you would create effective treatments, that, that you would guide us and our leaders, that we would do the right things to, to make this go away as quickly as possible. We pray you'd heal our economy. We lift up those who've lost jobs and incomes, that you would put them back on their feet financially soon. And I pray that your church, your people, would be at the top of the list of those who are helping make that happen. Lord, we pray for the leaders of our nation, our state, our region. We pray you'd grant them courage and wisdom to do what is right. Even if it doesn't help them in elections, I pray that they would do what is right for the people. Lord, we lift up our police, those who keep us safe. We pray, Lord, that you would keep them safe and that you would help them to see that what they are doing is for your good, is for the good of the people, that they would not get discouraged, that they would feel our support and our encouragement. We pray, Lord, for the many people in our country who feel disenfranchised, who feel like their voices don't count, Lord, who feel like they're second class. And we know that that's where your heart is. So I pray, oh Lord, that they would find equality, would find your love and would find their place in our nation. Our nation would become a place where everyone has equal opportunity. Lord, we pray most of all for your people, your church, not just First Baptist Conroe, but everyone who calls themselves by your name in this country. Revive us, oh Lord. Help us to cast aside our idols and to stop putting things like entertainment and pleasure and sex and romance and money and success and political power Lord, help us to stop putting those things ahead of you. But I pray instead that you would be our number one, our unquestioned king, and that the world would see you in us. Lord, let it happen in these days, in this generation. Bring about a tremendous revival among your people that leads to a great awakening in this country. We need it so badly, Lord God. Lord, we lift these things before you in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. We pray these things in His name. Amen.